All right. Welcome back. It's Jeff Mayhew. It's John Beatty. It's politics and parenting where we talk about politics, but we talk about it differently. John, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm not quite one year older, but I'm close. Ah, that's right. Your birthday's coming up, isn't it? Yeah. So your birthday is actually the same day as my brother's birthday, which is odd because your wife's birthday is the day before mine. Mm-hmm. Weird coincidences, it's weird, right? Weird, yeah. <laughs> What'd you do this weekend? Uh, I actually got to mow my lawn for the first time in a, a long time because I had a lot of free time this Saturday. Uh, changed some breaks. So I feel like my life is returning to um, sort of normal uh, mediocrity in a, in a good sense. <laughs> what did you do, Jeff? Uh, I finished reading. So I went on binge for this podcast this weekend and I read, I think, six books. Um, I read uh, Benjamin Franklin's The First Citizen uh, by H.W. Brands. I read a book called um, The Precipice um, about existential risk, global existential risk. Um, what else did I read? A, po- a History of Population of the United States, <laughs> an Isaac Newton biography, and what we owe the future, um, a book kind of a, kind of along the same lines as precipice, but a little bit different. Um, and then, uh, a Thomas Matthew essay on population as well. So really prepping hard for this episode, you know, cause I think it's really important. You really left a lot on the field there. And we would have expected a couple more books in there. I mean, you know, honestly, I bought like four more and I just couldn't get through them. I, I'm always the guy that orders more food than they can eat. <laughs> you should have uh, should have enjoyed Columbus Day and taken it off. So uh, what did what is that? Uh, what did you le- learn in all this? Um, so obviously, you know, our podcast this week is uh, what our what our leaders should be talking about, right? We talk about what a congressional representative's job is to listen and to inform. So what are they what should they be talking about with that fundraising money? Instead of going on TV and begging for our vote, they should be like informing us of like real problems and real solutions. Um, and I think reading those books really kind of helped me connect past problems with present problems to try to overlay it to figure out like where should we go as a nation, you know, comparative to like how we got here the mistakes that we made, the good things that we did, and then, you know, the problems that we face today. Interesting. So would you say that uh, our leaders need to actually, as you're saying, our leaders need to be talking about the problems, but that just puts a target on their back and that just means that someone can say, well, can you believe that so-and-so is pointing out this problem? I mean, I don't want to be callous or disrespectful, but isn't that their job though? Like, aren't they being cowards realistically by just saying, well, somebody's going to say something, so I better be quiet because I'm not going to be able to raise money and not going to be able to win office. It's like, so you're just giving up, right? You're not even trying to do your job. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's a big uh, aspect of where the kind of activists come in and they try to, to control the narrative. And that also hurts our ability for our leaders because it's, you know, activists would just be anyone who has the time and dedication to, to one single cause. And I think the challenge is that one cause can be really sharp, um, but uh, uh, one of our elected leaders has to worry about hundreds and hundreds of causes. And that kind of, that leads to sort of a, a dullness or a, uh, not a dullness, but a big force behind whatever they're talking about. So it's easy to lose attention to any particular problem. Whereas if you're kind of focused on one particular issue, it's much easier to 
have that crispness that you can uh, rally people around. Yeah, I mean, I agree, and I know that's how the system works. You know, the 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 squeaky wheel get uh, gets the gre grease, right? So the special interest that's always making a lot of noise, they're going to get the attention. But you know, this is like again, a representative's job. It's a responsibility. They have power. So they can't just listen to the squeaky squeak wheel. They have to like dig into society and understand the bigger problems. And then, like I said, lead. Tell us people, regular citizens, what we should be looking for, not just listening to the special interest. And that's kind of what we're that's what we're doing today, right? We're like, we're gonna give the people what we think a congressperson should be talking about um, that are really important for our nation's future. Because remember, like this is politics and parenting, right? We have to leave a world and a government safe for our children. Right. Uh, I mean, I would say that I think a big thing is people tend to have like an open door policy where they just sort of sit and wait for the problems to come on their lap. But I think what what you and I want to do is actually find those problems before they come to a, come to us, so that it's it's got our full attention, uh, it's got everyone's full attention, and it's not just um, you know we're just trying to put out fires. We're actually trying to uh, get rid of the the. Uh, the fuel before a, a big blaze happens. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's dive in. Let's uh, the number one thing I believe that a citizen should be wanting to hear from their representative is about congressional reform and campaign finance. Now, people that listen are like, "Well, duh, that's what Jeff Y four thirty five repeal Citizens United." We all know that, but I wanted to go a little bit um, deeper on this and. So the first uh, quote I've got here is from the Benjamin Franklin quote, the book, just to kind of try to, you know, a lot of pushback I get from people on the house situation and on the, um, the campaign finances. Well, this is just the way that it is. You have to deal with it. It's not going to change. There's nothing you can do. And it's like, well, maybe it will if we just kind of share what our founders thought about it, you know, share that perspective of where things were going and why we decided to change. So this is a quote um, from the from the uh, biography of uh, Franklin. From Franklin, he says, uh, or he's talking about Franklin. He goes, as long as uh, riches are attached to office, Britain would suffer. And that was because the British Parliament was like they were infighting. They weren't really there to do their job. They were there to make money. So that made them ineffective at their job. And that meant that the, the country was weak because of that. That's part of the reason that the United States was able to free itself. Right, because they had a lot of, uh, I mean, there were people in parliament who were actually in favor of uh, the United States separating themselves or even getting some kind of representation for taxation. Um, and I think, you know, that not having a unified front can be really uh, damaging when you're trying to uh, control people across the notion right absolutely and and again remember franklin was there because of what a lack of representation right which goes to the other thing about congressional reform and expanding the house is like the biggest fights we've ever had in government is always about representation so you know you can disagree on the number of the reps right but you should at least agree that it is something we should be talking about it is something we should be working on um I just, it's, it's a little, it's crazy how you kind of, you read these things, you understand, you go back and you read from like the very beginning. Cause Franklin's like the very first American, the first citizen. And you go, man, he was really talking about the same things we're talking about. <laughs> we haven't really moved much, have we? Well, there's no, there's nothing new under the sun. I mean, that's true. 
Um, and I, you know, I, you you might argue that well, it's just going to like dry to try to run on congressional reform and trying to fix campaign finance. But I mean, it, we talk about if you if you read any of these big business magazines, all they talk about is improvement. And if you look at, uh, for example, Toyota, Toyota w- became famous for the Toyota system where they had like, if there was a problem, they actually asked six times. Why did this problem happen? Why was what was the cost for this? What trying to get down to the root cause of it, and that made them a, a tremendous company. And I think if our goal is to be self-governing and to have it as best a government as possible, I think it's incredibly reasonable for someone to say, like, you know, like here's a problem, for example, uh, not enough representation, um, and I think this is something that that we can fix through the congressional the mechanisms. So I think it's so much so reasonable for someone to run on trying to improve Congress. In the same way that a CEO or a leader of another company really cares a lot about how their business is going to get better and how they're going to have uh, have a better environment for their employees, how they're going to have a better product. And I think, um, you know, the congressional representation is kind of a product from our leaders and it's it should be reasonable for someone to come in and, and say, we're going to come in and reform stuff. Yeah. And I think that most time periods, most generations, it doesn't sound reasonable to people. But I think that we're in that special type of moment where people are, are ready to think it's reasonable and ready to jump on the bandwagon, mm-hmm. right? Because look, the people back then weren't ready for it. It took like 30 years for them to get ready to, to finally be like, all right, that's it. We've had enough. Um, we're going we're gonna to stand up. We're going to get involved and you know be part of this government um, and free ourselves. Um, but I want to hit one other uh, Franklin quote here. He says, there are two passions which have a powerful influence on the affairs of men. These are ambition and avarice, avarice, the love of power and the love of money. And I think I mentioned on the last podcast, right, if the, if the goal of the representative is to uh, raise money, and so therefore he's around a lot of people who have a lot of money, and you put money and power in the same place, you get corruption. And I think that's the same philosophy our founders had. You know, Madison talks about it a lot. We've got Ben Franklin talking about it here. From the very beginning, the goal was to design a government that separated wealth from power. And the campaign finance system that we have now is totally broken. It needs to be scrapped, clean, and fixed. Um, And I think that the American people know it's corrupt. Like, you talk to regular American citizens, and they're like, oh, yeah money in politics, we need to change that, but it'll never change. And my argument to that is, yes, it will. Keep talking mm-hmm. about it. Yeah, keep winning on the problem. <laughs> because, you know, yeah, keep keep talking about it. Make make the politicians talk what we want to talk about, right? Instead of what they want to talk about. Because they want to talk about winning elections and raising money. Well, we want to talk about fixing problems. <laughs> um, so, and so, you know, like people, when you, when you talk about campaign finance reform, people are like, well, we can't fix that because uh, there's all these rules in place about it, or it's just going to, you know, the money's going to find a way. But I think, you know, if you look at the current system, there's a lot of rules in place that candidates have to follow. Uh, if they don't follow them, they can be expelled from the house. Like we just saw uh, recently in Nebraska with one of the congressmen accepting uh, foreign money. And then he got indicted and uh, was found guilty. And then he basically lost his house seat. So there you can put rules in place. I think it's just a matter of, of having the willpower to put those rules in place in order to uh, make that change. So, you know, yes, money could find a way, but that's where you just have to set, you have to set high 
expectations, and I think you do that through the rules process, where you try to say, like, this is the rules that everyone's going to play for. Um, and you just say, like, nope, we just, we can't have people paying for political advertising or something like that. Um, and I, you know, yeah. maybe there's First Amendment concerns about that, but I think that's something we have to at least have a conversation around rather than say, like, well, it's just impossible because corrupt people are going to find corrupt ways. I'm like, yeah, but that's why we designed a system to try and fix that. So, you know, let's not let's not throw up our hands so soon. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are definitely things we can do just by simply changing the election process and campaign finance rules. Will money get in? Yes. Do I think that we should write rules that completely keep money out at this stage of the game? Probably not. I think there's a a clever way to do it, and that's kind of what our founders did, you know, with with bad situations like the three fifths compromise. You know, you can argue if it was good or it's bad. I mean, realistically, it pulled the nation together and it got us where we are. And sometimes you have to make deals like that. And I think there's going to be a happy medium that you can start to roll back money in, in campaign. And then you can slowly kind of get the system where it's supposed to be. You'll get better leaders elected. All right, let's move on to our next one, population. So population, we have two categories here, immigration and family. Um, John, do you want to start on a like family-wise, like why it's important um, for a healthy country like to have strong families well i think if you want to like look at biology or something like a, a plant that is healthy is growing and is adding on uh and if we want a kind of a healthy country we have to kind of grow and add on where um, at the very least i think you would want sort of a, a status quo but i think everyone kind of understands that having some amount of growth is is desirable where um, there's more people and there's more ideas and there's more uh, energy that you can use um, just to make society better. I think um, it's the the very fact that life is so much better off with uh, what is it? It's almost seven billion people, over seven billion people in the world in the world than it was when there was only a couple hundred thousand or a million people back in ancient times. I think um, you know correlation is not causation, but I think you could you could reasonably say like having a lot of people in general is is very good for everyone so that's something that's desirable um having uh, children gives you uh, something to look forward to because it it really makes you think about like okay i've got they got these kids uh not only do i have to kind of shepherd them through 18 years of life and probably a lot more um but i i kind of want to have a, a good place for them to to grow up into a good environment for them to actually raise their own families that i can uh, take part of. And I, you know, there's a, there's a proverb that, um, I think it's a proverb, uh, something about like grandchildren are some of the greatest gifts that uh, a parent can ever get, because it's sort of you being successful in raising your children so that they can raise their own children. So I think, um, from a, just a, a pure market thing, like it's good to have markets, but I think from a, a human thing, it's good for us. It's a good exercise in us getting better and, and, uh, being better people. Right. And, and being invested in our future, right. To have kids. And when you have a family, your family can help you grow as much as you help them grow. Um, and so like, I want to take a look at uh, population. I'm going to read this quote from Thomas. I think it's Mathis. Um, he, it's an essay on principle of population. It's from 1798. He says, no limits, whatever are placed to the productions of the earth. They may increase forever 
and be greater than any assailable quantity. Yet still the power of population being a power of superior order, the increase of the human spe species can only be kept uh, commensurate, <laughs> oh, I'm terrible at pronouncing words out loud, to the increase of the means of substance by the constant operation of the strong law of necessity acting as the check upon the greater power. Now, when he's talking about that check, he's actually talking about uh, what he believes checks population. Um, so the necessi necessity of food and then the passions of sex, right? So where men and women naturally will procreate to have children and then you have to society has to be able to feed those people to continue to grow the population and the better that you do at that the stronger your population will be and now i think there was a is was it the 1970s and 1960s where we had the uh that wheat grain that uh was discovered or created that helped um it's in the precipice book that i read i, I, I don't have it right here with me but um where it basically helped grow. It was a stronger wheat grain, and it helped, you know, grow the world's population because we were able to feed more people, um, and that overall was good for society because we were potentially going to go through a famine, um, and that would have been bad for society. Was it higher <laughs> yield or like more drought resistant? Yeah. Yes. Yes, higher yield. I'll grab the book out here in a second. Um, there was one other quote to kind of bring it back to, you know, again, this is 1798, and. This is, um, that, or that one was 1798. This one's from Ben Franklin. And it says, our great security lies, I think, in our growing strength, both in wealth and numbers, that creates an increasing ability of assisting this nation in its wars, which will make us more respectable, our friendships more valued, and our enemy feared. And, you know, he's talking about the power of population. It takes people to get things done. Right. If you want to grow your country and and look at the world, look at where we are. We've always been we've always grown as a nation. We expanded out, you know, through the Louisiana Purchase Manifest Destiny. Um, and we grew our population in our cities after the Gilded Age. We went and, you know, grew new markets. We were always looking for more and more and more and more. And a growing nation is a successful one. Um, you can see that because that's how we helped become a power and stopped World War II by the power of raising taxes for war, the power of building and creating resources. It's just, it makes us so strong on so many different levels. And right now, I think we have an immigration policy that allows too many people in illegally. Therefore, we're not getting that power, right? They're not paying their taxes. Mm -hmm. So, or, you or know, really they're, they're hurting yeah, us. Being able to take part in society because they, they, now they are afraid like i remember hearing from someone when you door knock in some more hispanic areas like people just don't want to answer the door because they're afraid it might be someone who's going to try to rat them out to immigration like so you know not only are they not they're not paying into the system but they also are kind of in a bad way incentive incentivized not to take part in the system because uh you know to kind of limit their ability to take part in society which um frays us and and keeps to uh, keeps us divided yeah i and and they're not invested in the country either, right? Because of, because of that. And then you also, where we try to keep so many people out. So now you've got, it's harder for employment. Like we have a labor issue in this country. Now we keep on trying to move to technology, but it's like, what if that's not feasible for everything, 
you know, I think customer service is something that's like dying in this nation. And at, like CEO or not CEOs, but like corporations keep on pushing all that customer service responsibility onto the customer. It's like, go on the website, read all this, but they also have all that fine print. You have to become an expert in everything. And I think that's a big problem. I was talking to an insurance salesman um, and he was telling me like, people go on, they buy their insurance online. And then when the problem comes up, they're always frustrated because they're never covered because they buy the cheapest thing they can. They don't read the fine print. And they didn't actually talk to a person to like help them along the way to be like, hey, just so you know, that's like bottom barrel stuff. You're not really going to get much coverage. What you really need is this. And, you know, I think we're just lacking people. We're lacking ability to do that. And population would make us stronger. Interesting. I mean, I, the, I think the key principle is whether it's a family that's growing or people coming to a country, like it's, it's about hope. It's about hoping that things can get better or will be better. And you want to you want to bring things along and you want to take part in things getting better. Yeah, I agree. I think I have, I got another quote here from this precipice book. Hold on real quick. This is from the precipice book I was talking about. And this is about um, families. Okay. In 1950, the average number of children born to each woman was 5.05. It is now just 2.47. Not so far above the replacement rate of 2.1 children per woman. That probably didn't need that one. But it, the point is, we're having less children, right? We're having smaller families. Um, and I think that, you know, again, I think having big families makes stronger individuals, right? Stronger people being able to learn how to communicate inside of a family helps people learn how to communicate inside a society. So I think it's good just like on an emotional level to have big families. But on top of and but on top of that, you know, big families can work together and like save and grow their their future generations, right? If they work in investments, maybe buying a house or something as an investment property. If you had, you know, four or five siblings that are around the same age that are looking for the same investment, you can split that and split the cost. It would make it easier to grow. This is something that, you know, our leaders should talk about helping the economy and, you know, again, encouraging people or creating a society where you could have a big family because we talk about it all the time. It's expensive right? It's really expensive to have a big family. Um, we need to do something to encourage people to have kids. Yeah, I think it's it's incredibly important. And, uh, you know, part of having population growth means that you've got a, a bigger market and that you, uh, you know, there's more uh, ability for, um, I guess, again, like ideas to form and for people to work together. Um, and I think one of the things you, you keep bringing up is you, you think that we need more forward thinking and uh, our leaders to talk about market creation and you're, you're big into going to Mars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I've got one more quote from uh, this book about population just before we tie it up. And it says, he's talking about in this paragraph, he's talking about um, the, how the culture um, to make our culture stronger because, you know, our culture is a little weak right now. And he says, a second way for a culture to become more powerful is through immigration. And that's because it's raising the population. Um, so, you know, we, we have to think about that um, to, to keep our country strong. Um, but we'll go into, go into the next one. We've got exploration. And I believe it's time to go to Mars. And I think of this from a perspective of we're just, we're pioneers. It's in our blood. You know, we're explorers. You know, we didn't know something. We sought out to know it, Right. Um, and a lot of people might say, well, I don't understand the point of it. I, you know, what's, you know, are we going to live there? Are we going to find resources? Like, how are we even going to do it? We don't know how. 
And my answer to them is Isaac Newton theorized the space's vacuum and the atom before he could ever see it. He figured that out. And if he could do that, then we can go to Mars. And I think it's, you know, it's just about solving problems. You know, human beings are so great at solving problems. That's the one thing history has showed me more than anything is how adaptable and hardworking we are. We're good at creating and problems so if too. But... Well, yes. <laughs> well, so, and that's the other thing. If we're here, we're just going to be fighting against ourselves. If we have a goal, if we have a purpose of, you know, a task, think of it like a child, right? Like if you got a like really hyper kid, give them a, give them a chore, give them, um, you know, a activity to keep him busy, keep his hands, you know, busy and his mind clear. Um, he'll be less likely to get into trouble. Right. And so I think humanity, we're all kind of just sitting here, nowhere to go. And we're just, we're all trying to grab for me instead of thinking about the whole. And I think having a goal of getting to Mars, whether it's colonizing, there's uh, some articles I read about terraforming, you know, learning how to terraform, which I don't know, maybe it's possible, or maybe just find a resource. But at the very least, you'll give us focus, mm -hmm. you know, we'll have focus as a nation, as a world, realistically. And then we're going to get technology from this. We're going to get new technology. I think uh, we had it, the first space race when we went to Mars. We got water filtration systems. We got uh, photographic technology that's now on our phones, right? Like there are so many benefits to going that. It's gonna. It could help the economy, create new markets. Like there's just so much potential there. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. I mean, I, I think, perhaps the you're talking about focusing people's attention. Um, and that I think if you look at the post Cold War order, that's definitely been a problem. Well, just it's been lacking in our country. Like we were at, at war in World War Two, and then we had the whole Cold War, and so that was something that could kind of unite people by giving us something to con concern ourselves with. Um, and I, you know, maybe it's it's sort of that uh, that saying like a, an idle idle hands are the devil's playground. Like you know, just having something to work towards outside of ourselves that we can all kind of uh, put in, put towards is is a good um, could be a good. So, I'm uh, I'm open to exploring that idea further. <laughs> open to exploring the idea further. All right. Well, I mean, we've already got private companies, mm -hmm. right? And like, look, if there's I so I read presidents a lot biographies, but I also read like really famous business leaders, guys like Carnegie, Vanderbilt. Look, the way these people think is like they're thinking about the future. They're thinking about the next great market. What's going to happen? The sheer fact that there are so many really highly educated, you know, wealthy businessmen go trying to go to the moon and whatnot proves that that's where we need to be. And, and our government should have a stake in that. NASA should be, have a stake in it because, you know, and I'll talk about it when we get to national defense, but space is the new sea, realistically. And the British were so successful for so long because they dominated the mm -hmm. sea. And if we want to be a successful nation, we need to dominate space. We don't have to be the first one to get to Mars. We don't have to be the first one to colonize anything. We just have to be the best. <laughs> That's true. I mean, yeah, we weren't the first ones in space. The Russians beat us to that, but uh, we that I think you know that provided incentive. But also, we have been uh, perhaps the most successful in space. Absolutely. Um, all right, let's go to our next one: financial stability. So now. My perspective from this is 
middle class America really kind of drives the engine. You know, you hear that from politicians a lot. Small business is the backbone of America. Well, as a small business owner, let me tell you what I want. <laughs> I want consistency and opportunity. And right now we pretty much have neither. Um, the economy is constantly on a yo-yo, and this is because the different powers are swinging back and forth, kind of playing with it. And we have an over-regulated market, and that's a problem for people. There's no, there's no urge for investment from younger people that because it's so much risk, and there's not a lot of opportunity for capital for people that don't already have it. Um, that was a big struggle I went through uh, starting my business. Was you know you go to the small business administration to get a loan. And they're like, oh, you need $250,000 of sales to get like in some like credentials, some years in business to get this loan. And it's like, well, that's like a medium sized mm -hmm. business. Like I'm a new business. How do I get started? Where do I get money from? Right. And I eventually like I borrowed a little bit of money from my dad and we just like worked ground level. Like we labored it all the way. We didn't pay ourselves for years and stuff. And that's kind of how we got into the market. But there should be easier ways, you know, because it's a hard way to start a business and to keep a business going. Well, I think you could probably speak better to it, but I remember when I tried to do an app business on my own, like the healthcare costs were incredibly expensive. And I, that's something that I wish more people would talk about, um, you know, how to fix that. And again, that's a, an incredibly regulated market with a lot of capture from people who know how to, how to make money. Um, and there really isn't any competition or any way for things to get better. Um, but I, one thing you mentioned about you wish there was less risk and i think like i'm gonna i'm gonna push back on that because like part of investing is taking a risk and it is trying to reap the rewards of that um i mean like you think about planting a field um of wheat or something like there's a risk that none of that's going to grow that the, maybe there's too much rain maybe that you know the bugs come and kill it like there's a lot of risk inherent in that but um at the end of the day you do get you can get uh, 10, 20 fold increase in that, um, in production because you took that initial risk. So I don't know if there's, a, if you could ever like de-risk everything, but I think what you're trying to say is what make it easier to get started. So instead of having to go plant a hundred acres of, of wheat, maybe you, there's a, an avenue for you to just plant like, uh, 10 by 10 square and, you know, try that out, see what you can do. And again, you got a 10 by 10 square, you get some kind of yield on that and some kind of um, uh, return on that investment. And then you can uh, plow that back into the ground, literally. Uh, I think that's what you're, what you're trying to um, frame it. Well, so I, what I would say is like the cost to open a business is so high. And like if you're going to compete in it, you have to go the labor route where you're not paying all the specialists. So you have to like become an expert in a lot of different things, do your own accounting, do your own taxes, do all these things that are really hard to do. Um, when you're getting started, if you don't have the money to do them and what, because it's heavily regulated and all those costs are really high and you have to do them to be in the market mm -hmm. that raises the risk for regular people for like regular labor industry, people who didn't go to college or whatever, that just came out of high school that are trying to be creative. You need to like, they need to be able to focus on their job, but realistically they have to be this completely other thing, um, because of the way the market is. And so I'm not saying like taking the risk out of business, I'm saying the government puts more risk on people because of the way it regulates the market. And I think by balancing that out, you're, you, by it'll, from the, the entrepreneur's perspective, it'll be lower risk. Though, and maybe not lower risk, but just like greater percentage of success mm -hmm. is kind of what they're looking for. You know, because it's like, if they don't, they don't see a pathway to victory, 
Why even try? They just go work work for the corporation because it's easier. Yeah, let's hope in that situation. Yes, hope, and that's and that's a big thing. You need hope as a nation, and financial stability provides hope for people because you know they're able to save and grow for the future. Another thing you talked about was the the market swings, and I think that's another thing that just kind of there is a natural cycle. Um, and again, looking back to nature, like there are forest fires that burn down entire forests, but um, out of that comes new growth. And I think perhaps if you de-risk the market, as you're talking about, by lowering the barrier to entry, then it's okay for the, for big market swings because it's much easier to get back on your feet and get going. Would you like it? Yes. And, and I think that's how we operated realistically before, you know, the whole IRS system, right? And then the great, the new deal really is what moved us. We would have more frequent. So like when I'm talking about the swings, I'm talking about the power swings that kind of affect the economy, that affect the regulation realistically, because the regulation changes depends on who's in office. And so if you, you know, balance that out where we can actually govern ourselves and not have, you know, executives deciding all that stuff. And then you move the market back to the way it was. Yeah, you might going to get some volatile swings here and there. But like you said, you'll be able to get back on your feet. They'll be able to continue to grow. And that's the most important thing is opportunity. You want your country to have opportunity. Mm -hmm. All right. Number five here, national defense. Now, this is one that people do talk about a lot, but I think we're going to talk about it a little bit differently. So there's going to be a few things here. We've got, I mentioned it earlier. Space is the new sea. And then we've also got cyber is the new battlefield. That's where our wars are kind of fought right now. And then uh, people are power. We hit on it before. Um, John, do you want to start off with that cyber one? Yeah, it's definitely the battlefield of the 21st century. I mean, it's, I think it's just another, it's another front. It's, I mean, like if you look at, if you look at the Ukraine conflict, one of the the big concerns before that all started, if you can remember back a couple of months, um, was it like the Russians had a tremendous cyber ground game and they were just going to take down infrastructure left and right? Um, and I don't think we ever saw that happen. And I would say, like, I think being prepared in that front, um, digitizing everything makes your life incredibly easier because there's less friction. It's easier to manage uh, data. Um, it can be it can be easier to communicate. But the kind of the, the other side of that coin is that it makes your life much more easier to communicate with bad actors. Um, and so it just, it's one of those things like it requires preparation. Like, like you have military barracks where you've got soldiers. I think you've got to, we're going to have to have the same kind of, and I think we do have the same kind of, of idea where um, you're, you're just prepared for your network to get under attack, where you can prepared for people from the outside trying to get in, where they're trying to guess passwords and things. But also people on the inside um, getting swayed. You know, um, one of my favorite people in history is Whitaker Chambers, and he would take documents from this guy Alger Hiss, who was in the State Department, photograph them, send them out to back to Russia. Um, but you know, we don't need uh, a go-between anymore. You just need someone on the inside who can uh, break through the network, um, secrete the documents, and send them digitally. So it's much easier. So. You know, it's, there's the, the aspect of people trying to get in. There's the aspect of people trying to get from the outside. Um, and so it's, it's just, it's something you got to, it's another thing you got to consider as you, you go through this, because it's, it can be, if it all goes well, um, you, you can spend most of your time shooting rockets at each other. But if it goes terribly wrong, like you're toast. And no matter how many rockets you have, like they can take your 
power grid down if they can ruin your satellites um you know you you have no national security right and and we see this like just look at our world everything is moving online right so like naturally that's where the fights are going to happen right like you just watch people they fight where they are <laughs> and so we want to we want to be ahead of that um i know that you know i'm not saying that we're not um i don't think that our country is significantly behind i i'll be honest i've got to do more study to to figure it out but um we seem to be doing okay so far but things can change and it is something that we should talk about as a nation and we should educate our people like what do they should do online to keep themselves safe you know because we don't want you know regular people should understand this that way when they go to work for corporations and governments they are like trained from birth to like have proper habits online about opening emails and different types of things to keep yourself safe um and it would help our elderly they get scammed a lot mm -hmm. right like this <laughs> is a problem and a lot of our capital is going out the door because our grandparents are getting scammed and that's unfortunate well that's more of a um a uh a, i mean in the same way that like uh someone could come to your door and sell magazine subscriptions like it that's that is that does happen on the this, this sort of the, the digital sphere but it's it's kind of a more of a human problem um, but i will point out one area which i'm very certain that we are behind uh, on our defense and this is something i talked about is so i don't know if you've ever gotten like a, an emergency update on your your phone or your computer it says like zero day exploit you got to update as fast as possible so the the idea of a zero day exploit is an exploit where someone can send a specially crafted file program where they can take complete control of your system. Um, and you know, it's just the nature of, of we being humans creating imperfect things like these all exist. But what happens is our defense industry, um, especially the NSA CIA, they take these zero day exploits and then they, they just kind of hold on to them and they use them as means to attack, take down other countries. But, that just means that we're all using uh, exploitable software. So I, I think the the way that we could fix that is we should take that research and kind of burn that bridge where we understand that we're getting rid of that exploit and it's not some kind of tool we can use, but it's going to make all of our systems secure. And so we're not susceptible, susceptible to that same exploit. So I think that that's, that is one area where we can improve in cybersecurity is more um, you know, taking the research we're doing and being proactive to fix those problems. And the, any company that worth with its salt has some kind of mechanism to re report those bugs and to get them fixed in sort of a uh, a private way so that it's not disclosed what the exploit is. Um, and I think that you know there, there are mechanisms in place, and I think that's that's a huge hole that I wish we would look at more because you know the CIA sits on these um, exploits, and uh, that you know this these get leaked where there's contractors get talking about people on the inside. Contractors get angry and they steal the software and they put it online and they say like look can you believe what these people have on us um so i like i mean it's out there it's not like it's 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 yeah. secret knowledge yeah um and so space is the new sea right and like i said before in the in the other one the british were successful because they they mastered the sea and i think you know just based on where our society has come how we've acted as people and where the like really wealthy people are going means that space is what we need to do. And um, I've been watching that show for all mankind. And in the third season, they go to Mars, okay? And it's the Russians versus the United States versus a corporation 
which I think is funny because now the corporation is equal with another sovereign power. I like to talk about how corporations are kind of like sovereign powers and they're kind of ungoverned by our government when they move their money outside the United States. Um, and so this corporation, they, uh, they build a, they move the, the space uh, race faster. Okay. They push the envelope and they get it going. And the owner of the corporation, uh, he talks about how they're going to start a new world, a new revolution, you know, basically. And it's like, what if Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, what if their lineage is the corporation that comes in after them and settles and let maybe terraforms Mars decides to start their own nation? They start their own world. Maybe maybe terraforming is a real thing. Maybe you're actually able to colonize Mars. Maybe you're actually able to put people there. And then the United States loses all that potential, all that opportunity, because the corporation has planted their flag there, and now they have their new nation. Is that something we want to sit on, right? I mean, Britain was very good about getting here, <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe they didn't find it, but, you know, when they did, they made sure they had the means and the opportunity to settle. Um, and that was, you know, positive. I think we should think that way as a nation. Um, and it'll keep us safe because... If corporations are going up there, they're going to have potentials to hurt us. You know, they can send things back from space and it'll be difficult to stop it. Um, and if other nations decide to start doing that, you know, we should be prepared. Yeah, I'm, I'm open to exploring it. I'm, I think it's I think it's interesting. I think the key thing is um, you're right that it's an area where there is a weakness because if people can get above you um, in the same way, like, you know, one of the greatest things about our country was that we had two oceans. And so for a long time, we, it was very easy for us to kind of like stay to keep to ourselves and to kind of push people away if they got too close. But like we didn't have to worry too much. Whereas, you know, if you're Germany, you've got people going through you left and right. Um, uh, so I, I think like space is just that is that new vulnerability that I I would say equally it's equally distributed. It's an equal opportunity vulnerability, um, especially if you're a bigger country. But it's it is something to consider um, as it's an area that that you could be attacked from yeah um so that we got under national defense we've got people are power we kind of we've kind of talked about that a little bit already today um how you know power of the purse raise taxes uh resources create uh that helps your economy all that stuff helps you be a strong nation um and then i think uh as far as like relationships we should try to build in our nation to keep us strong is i think you know and i don't i'm not an expert on this but India seems like a country that's like on the cusp of, uh, you know, a little bit more strength because of their industrial, um, you know, direction they're going. Um, and that makes, you know, again, their, their population, right? They're a strong populous country and that makes them strong. Um, so we should have good relations with them, right? We don't want them getting off course um, and we can benefit probably for some trade or something as well. Yeah. Um, and then... The, oh, the, you know, the only way to, to have a friend is to be one. I think that's a key thing uh, that we need to bring back in, in national defense where we're reaching, you know, we're, we're trying to reach out to other countries and trying to bring them along. Um, I, I would say what we did with building a relationship with China maybe hasn't gone as people thought, but we are so intertwined with, with them that um, everyone has to take a really hard thought before they make any big moves like um, cause you know, with, with what happened in Ukraine, people say, well, maybe China's going to take over Taiwan, but there's a lot of like knock on effects with that. And so, um, as much as, as we want to have a strong manufacturing base at home, um, us being so intertwined with China in terms of we're a big market, 
for them, but they're also a huge market for us in terms of raw material. Um, that like there's a lot of considerations that would have to go in for for them um, to sort of burn bridges and stuff. So I think that's it. I think that's what you're you're trying to get at having strong relationships with a country um, where you're you're generally decent with each other. I think uh, overall brings about more peace. Yeah, I mean, and you when you read how countries behaved amongst each other in the past, I mean, when they had cordial workings and they each benefited, everything was mm -hmm. fine. When when one party was getting more than the other, things got went a hay, you know, went haywire. And you know, it is if you're the United States of America, you're the global power. It's your responsibility to reach out. It's your responsibility to lead. You're on top. That's your mm -hmm. job. Um, kind of like what we talk about the congressman's job is to inform because they're the ones that are leading same thing if you're the if you're the whole country so we should be leading um and then we've got ai um i'm gonna let you talk about that one so in a lot of in every single one of these books i read about the future they talked about ai and the potential for risk and the potential for gain um so if you want to talk about a little bit of the national security aspect of that yeah i mean like it, if you think about what ai is artificial intelligence it's just trying to outsource your thinking to something else. Um, so you could say uh, a tool that uh, planted seeds is a little bit like AI because it, you don't have to think about um, where the seeds go. You just, you use a machine in order to do that thinking and doing that work. So um, it's a, then the question becomes like, where do you apply this, this external thinking? And I think what everyone is really concerned about with, with the recent changes in artificial intelligence is really this sort of idea of machine learning where not, I guess, traditionally AI, like if you think of a seed planter implement, it's just, you've, you've literally like programmed the, the me mechanics of it so that a seed goes in a little shoot and it goes into the right spot in the soil. And you just repeat that over and over again. And you could have artificial intelligence where it's a, uh, like talking about customer service, it's a phone tree where you punch in a bunch of buttons and it routes you to the right thing. Like that's kind of that sort of thinking. I think that's rudimentary artificial intelligence where it gets interesting is this machine learning where you try to come up with really fuzzy models where you don't actually program it everything. You just kind of like give it data and you sort of see if it can create decision trees based off of that data. Um, and so I think where AI is going to be incredibly useful and important and perhaps problematic is it's going to be in, in situations where there's sort of a defined goal and a defined answer. Um, I, I don't think AI is going to be generating interesting podcasts because there tends to be a, a sort of an open exploratory aspect to that. But if it's, if it's something like, um, well, there's an interesting example with GitHub where they've got this co-pilot tool where you can, as you're typing your program out and the co-pilot's like sitting there with you, it's just kind of like guessing what the next move might be. And sometimes it gets it right, sometimes it doesn't. And apparently when it gets it right, it's like magic where it's like, wow, it's, that saved me um, a lot of time and thought because I didn't have to think through that code. Uh, it also works in, med in medical situations where you're just doing image analysis. And I was just talking to a doctor who um, looks at x-rays and things. Um, and so you can train the, a, a machine learning model or an AI model to just look at an image and sort of guess where um, there might be some kind of contusion where there's bleeding in the lungs or something. Um, and one of the things he brought up was it can be really good about um, learning what the objects in the images are, but 
there has to be kind of a, a context that goes in with that. And that's the cool thing about machine learning is it gives you that ability to apply a context because if you if you take an x-ray of lungs and you see a little black spot on that, if you don't really know the patient's history, that could be cancer, it could be uh, a bullet, it could be bleeding. But if you know that they were just in a car accident, then you could say, okay, that's definitely bleeding. It's very likely that's bleeding. So that's kind of the interesting thing where as these machine learning models get bigger and bigger and better at understanding the context, I think that's where um, we might see more work. And so, um, you know, if it gets in, into drones that uh, go out, go off haywire and start shooting uh, bullets and stuff because um, they've been programmed to just, you know, there's a bad programming somewhere and then the machine learning model goes wrong, you know, that could be a, a huge problem. Yeah, I, um, in the... Uh what we owe the future book or the precipice book. I can't remember right now. Um, there's a story in there with like machine learning where the machine learns and then teaches new machines and like just continues to grow and grow and grow and like basically takes over the earth, like because it has a different purpose than we have. And so maybe the machines eliminate humans in that, you know, because of whatever their purpose, they decide their purpose is, or maybe humans just coexist with them, but in a very like, civilization ending type of way where like our technology is not accessible to us um and so you know it's certainly something that we should think about right and i think I, from a national security thing i think the ai aspect that i fear most is the way that people are able to do like fake videos of people like we've, i think we've all seen that tom cruise one where it's like a it's like a deep fake or whatever i think that's really dangerous because in both of these books, they talk about how nu nuclear uh, uh, nuclear war is is has happened or not has happened, but have been come close to happening because of human error, right? Where people think something's happening that's not happening. Imagine a deep fake that tricks somebody in a position with a trigger, right? Like that's scary process. Um, we have to be very careful of that. We should, you know, as a society, and I think uh, as a government, we should find some way to. I don't know, explain it to people <laughs> at the very least so they understand it. So when they're watching videos on their phone, they can tell the difference between something that's real and something that's fake. So I mean, you more young people in Congress because they know how the technology works. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but I mean, in this aspect, I mean, comparative to a congressman or a senator, I'm young. we're both very young, but I still don't understand this stuff nearly as well as I think I should. Um, and again, that's because who's telling us to understand it? Right. Like who's guiding us? Who's leading us? Because when I watch uh, a political ad, the only thing I ever hear about are the divisive issues that get them elected. I don't hear about anything right. else. So the things so that are actually worst. like affecting our lives. <laughs> right. Um, all right. So that was that was the top five things um, that we think you should be talking about. Um, I noticed that we didn't talk about uh, the environment. So I know people are probably going to complain about that. I think that it's definitely something we should consider. And I think that those things, focusing on those things will actually help the environment. We'll talk about that later. Um, and then, you know, people, you know, to me, a lot of times people are like, hey, you know, this stuff just can't happen, right? It's not possible. And I guess my perspective is if we just had people that were engaged, um, that understood the system, and then people that were engaged to work in the system, then we could absolutely make change. Uh, you know, the house seats are changeable every two years. And if you just, you, know, you just get people involved and they just understand what their job is, like it becomes easy. It's just, 
I think what we need realistically in America is just a good training session for American <laughs> citizens. And I think that's kind of what we're trying to provide, mm -hmm. right? With our last episode is like, what, what are the powers supposed to be as citizens? What do we look at? What are they supposed to be? And now as citizens, like what should we want to hear from that power? And what should we be worried about for our future, for our children's future? Um, so that's kind of been our goal um, for this episode. And then on the next episode, John, we talked about meeting and uh, recording live in a, in a restaurant. And I think it would be interesting to offer out if anybody wants to join us, because this was the Congressman Informs You episode, but the next next one will be the people, we listen to them, right? So we want to bring some guests on, um, just get, you know, uh, we'll, we'll post it later if you want to be a part of it, shoot us an email, um, maybe you want to come on the podcast, meet us, and just tell us what you think. What's important in your life right now? What should the Congressman be listening to? Um, I'll tell you why you're wrong. But I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, I find that when I talk to people out, they have like really, they talk about the real issues, right? Like the campaign finance is the thing that every single person, I talk to strangers a lot and they all talk about campaign finance. And when you go inside the political circle and they're like, we can't talk about campaign finance, like, you know, something's mm -hmm. wrong. <laughs> you know, if the people are talking about it, but the power isn't talking about it, it's for a reason. Um, but we have a quick parenting segment. Uh, John, you want to lead off on that one before we go? Yeah, I think it's about trying to uh, engage your children in things that you enjoy. Uh, I mean, it could be hobbies and stuff, but like uh, this afternoon, I got the chance to go down to the National Botanical Gardens, U.S. Botanical Gardens, down by the on Capitol um, Hill at the end of the mall, and that's one of my favorite places to go. I mean, I, I like I like nature, I like plants, um, and I like people farming plants, but. Um, I never had gotten a chance to take my kids there, uh, when, when they're old enough to appreciate it, I think I maybe they went, they were little, but it's, you know, like one of the coolest things is they got like a little cocoa tree. So you've got a cocoa tree with a cocoa, uh, nibs coming off it or the pods that have the nibs in them. Um, and it just, you know, like it, it, it's cool because like, like that personifies something that can be so you just take for granted, like, you know, that you get chocolate in the store. Um, they've got some coffee trees so you can see little berries, um, there's a banana tree so you can see the bananas, um, which I think, you know, you don't get a perspective on, but I, it was just, it's, it's really nice to share that with your kids. You know, you're, you're educating them in a certain sense because they're getting to see things that they wouldn't see. Um, and then some of my children happen to really enjoy doing and being out in nature. So they, they got a lot of it. They love the cacti, cacti. Um, but it's, you know, it, again, even going to the same old spot over and over again, like often change things. So like there's a new section there about um, hydroponic farming, which I thought was really cool where you can, you can see. And again, like you could just kind of, you know, the kids like, Oh look, there's strawberries. Like, like, you know, you're used to seeing strawberries come either in jelly or in a little plastic crate from um, the grocery store. And so it's really cool to um, make that tangible and, and to kind of share that your love, uh, your passions with them. Um, and uh, I know that's one of the nice things about the DC areas there are a lot of opportunities like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, this weekend my wife was out in the yard, uh, doing some landscaping and she had both of my kids, both of the older kids out there helping her at some point in time. And you know, she, her mom does a lot of landscaping, right. And she learned that from her mom and she passing it down to our kids. And it's, you know, it's about connecting the past to the present. You know, it's about teaching your kids how to work. It's about teaching your kids a new skill. It's about giving your kids opportunity because, Look, 
we're labor, right? Like I, I grew up wanting to be capital and thinking I was capital because it's consumer economy and I got the stuff that I wanted, but I didn't get what I really wanted. And I think I've realized that we're finally like labor, the how I built my business, how everything's going in the world. And I go, if we want something, we have to like do it ourselves. We got to fix our own car. We got to do our la own landscape and we can't afford to pay somebody to do it. And, um, you know, having that and passing that down to our children is really important. It's really like what kind of made America. America was made by people. It's what it made it strong. America was made by labor. It's what made it strong. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a good lesson for our kids to, to pass it down. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that was a good episode, John. What do you think? It's a great episode. Can't wait to listen to it. <laughs> All right. Well, if you're listening out there and you want to be a part of the next podcast, uh, shoot us an email, um, find us on Twitter, direct message, whatever you can. Um, and if you like it, subscribe, share, um, and always peace and love.